Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Pastor Steve, Pastor Jane, thank you so much for letting me share my heart this morning. I, I love Jane. She's got her phone out so that she has the wind blowing look all day long. You know, it, it's, it's a fashion thing, right? All right. All right. That's awesome. And, and just been hanging out with Pastor Steve and Jane for the past few months in and out of their house, just hearing their heart for community, hearing their heart for what I believe God is, is doing in this house, and then what it will then spill out and then touch an entire community. This morning, I believe that God has put a word on my heart that is for us specifically. There's parts of it that will talk about the church in general, but it's going to be talking a bit about this house in particular. I believe I have a prophetic word of what God is wanting to do here. When I think about, let's go ahead and have our title slide up. When I think about the, the word this morning, the big word is community. And I know that's on your heart, but there's two parts of community. There's the community that's out, and then there's the community that's within. And God made this word, or used this word in the New Testament called ecclesia. They borrowed it right into the Spanish language, and they used this word. And the word itself, what is amazing, does, has nothing to do with the four walls of a church. It has nothing to do with it at all. It has nothing to do with lights or projectors or smoke or any of that stuff or chairs. It has to do with the people of God. The word literally means the called out ones. It means you are the church and this has nothing to do with it. It's a great place to meet, but the people of God are what God is all about. That's the important part to God. The master plan of God is people. Amen? Are you with me so far? I want to start this morning in Acts chapter 3. And Acts chapter 3 is one of those stories that I like. Chapter 3, I want to start, and we know the story well. This is the early days of the church. And in the early days of the church, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon. I don't have it up on the screen. We're going to actually have to read our Bibles this morning, all right? I'm in the living, the New Living Translation. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he would beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So catch this. According to the scripture, we find out this guy has been doing this for over 40 years years. 40 years. Can you imagine somebody being plopped outside of this house, and every time coming in, they are sitting here begging, and and every day for 40 years, come on, come on people, 40 years you've been passing this guy, and he's crippled, he's lame. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked back at him, eagerly expecting a gift. I'm going to be able to go home with some money in my pocket this morning. But Peter says, I don't have any money for you. Can you imagine? He's like, oh, bummer. 
but I'll give you what I have. And the guy's thinking, okay, maybe some food or something like that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. At that moment, I'm thinking, okay, okay, this guy just talked about a guy I've never heard about before. Maybe I had, maybe I heard the rumors, maybe something like that. But all of a sudden, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankle bones were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Say, with them. Here is a guy that was on the outside for 40 years. And a miracle of God brings him on the inside. He is now a part of the people that are praising God. He's now a part of the people that are on the in, the people that belong, the people that are the called out ones. He is a part of what's going on. Later on in the story, we see him leaning on Peter and John. And he's found some new friends. He's found some people to hang with. He has found a new life because of a miracle of God. And to me, it just begins to almost make me cry or weep or there's a tender spot in me for people that are on the outside. There's a tender spot for me for people that get bullied. There's a tender spot in me for people that just don't feel like they measure up or are allowed into the in crowd, the cool kids. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else have that in their heart? Because I'm telling you, that's the heart of God. The heart of the father wants his kids back home. The heart of the father wants his kids back with him. The heart of the father wants his kids with his brothers and sisters and and not fighting, but together and enjoying life together. How many people have ever been in a place where you felt like you were on the outside? I have. I was a weird kid. I was very sensitive as a kid. I was, my kids call me an extrovert, but really I have some very introvert tendencies. And I do, I want to go hide in the corner a lot of times. How about you? Sometimes people can just wear you out, isn't that right? I don't know. There's extreme extroverts. I think Earl Bradley is one of those. I have a father that's one of those extreme extroverts, and they just want to be around people all the time. You know what I'm talking about? But I'm not one of those. In fact, in some ways, I was one of those kids that I was so sensitive that sometimes you could get me to cry with the stupidest things. I'm young. I'm young. I've got my friends in the neighborhood, and they would say stupid things like, your dad can't, can't ride a snowmobile as good as my dad can. And it's like, yes, he can. He's every bit as good as your dad. And, and it would get me all upset. And they would do it just to get me going. This was the entertainment of the neighborhood, was let's get Jeff to cry. So deep down, I have this place in my heart for the outcast. I have this place in my heart for the ones that just don't seem to fit in. I have this place in my heart to say, we need to build a place that people belong. And I hate this thing that we have inside of people. And it's inside of all of us. It's part of a sin nature that says, I'm going to elevate myself above somebody else or I'm going to exclude people or, or I'm going to try to make myself bigger or I'm going to try to make my, hang out with just the cool kids so that I feel better about my life. There's something inside of every one of us that's like that. You know what I'm talking about? And it's our own insecurities. 
It's our own failures that makes us want to be around people of success. But the truth is, there is one person of success that will change our life and change this thing in the depth of our core of who we are, and that is Jesus Christ. He wants to lend every bit of what he is in all of his success and all of his wins, and he wants to add you right next to him. In this story, we go on a little bit, and in the story, we find that all of a sudden, the magistrates, the Pharisees, the Sadducees get wind of what's going on. And they send their troops in, they grab hold of John and Peter. But before they take them, we find in the story that while Peter and John, I'm in chapter 4 now, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the lead priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees came over to them. They were very disturbed, Peter and John were claiming, on the authority of Jesus, and that there is a resurrection, meaning on the Sadducees, of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, jailed them until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it, so that the number of the believers totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That would be a good day for the house of God, wouldn't it? I believe that on the Father's heart is that he, he truly does want to bring his kids home. And that the master plan of God has always been people. And that he wants to build communities that are welcoming, communities that are healing, communities that are very much a place where people who don't feel like they belong anywhere else can belong in the church. I'm going to say something, guys. And I know that God loves his church and we love church. But the church has got a track record of being exclusive, not inclusive. And I believe that God wants to change something in the church. I believe there's a shift that's coming. I believe that there's something that God is up to that is going to absolutely blow our minds. And God's going to get his kids to come home again. Can we stop and pray for just a moment? Father, I just love you, and I love who you are and what you do, but most of all, there's this sense where I'm learning more and more that you are a good father, and that even though we live in a broken down, messed up world, you are making good things out of very evil things. Love the message last week, God, how you work out of messes and you create masterpieces. And God, this is so true. This is the core of the gospel, that you took us, messed up individuals, and you're making masterpieces out of us. But God, let's take that to another whole, another level, Lord, where we become a masterpiece of what you're doing in the earth today. We love you here this morning, and I pray, oh God, that you would do something right in the middle of community, right here, that unlocks a faith inside of every one of us, so that we would become something new and different, so that you would do your work here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Brett was saying, way back when, going to Portland, it was 1985. 1985, not too long, like even a month or two right before that, I was just still coming out of the bars. I was still probably dancing in a mosh pit with a bunch of punkers with a razor blade laced into their t-shirts. I mean, it was weird stuff. And I came into this place called Portland Bible College. And I was used to being up till 2 o'clock in the morning every night. Even though I would work in the morning, construction, I would still stay out all hours of the evening 
And all of a sudden, this kid gets a hold of God, and I move up to Portland Bible College going after, I'm going to learn a lot about God. But what I find myself is I'm dropped smack dab in a community that has a whole lot of rules. (laughs) In by 10 o'clock, lights out by 10.30. That was a killer for me. Within the first month of being at Portland Bible College, I was already in Brother Woodcock's office. Remember Brother Woodcock? He was an Australian, and he says, mate, the way that you've got your hair and your tie and all of that just doesn't work for us around here. You've got 15 demerits, and you 15 demerits, you're out. <laughs> I said, so what, you're telling me I'm out? You're out. Okay, I just didn't get the accent there. The honest truth was, I knew that that was exactly where I needed to be. This was the community that God had called me to. I'd had classes for about four weeks, and I was just sucking up everything that these teachers were giving us. And all of a sudden, this man tells me, you don't belong here anymore. You've made too many mistakes. You've had too many demerits. The way you look, the way I had one of those skinny ties, they're back in, by the way. (laughs) He says, that doesn't work for what we do around here. Because we had to wear a tie. Can you imagine that? (laughs) To class every day. And in the middle of that, all of a sudden, there was something in me that broke and realized how important this community was to me. And I begged Brother Woodcock to let me have another chance. And he did. I got through four years (laughs) of those rules, and I, I got a few more demerits as I went. But gradually, there was this change that happened. I'll tell you something. Something happens in the middle of community, good community, that changes us as individuals, helps us to shed the things that were of the past, and helps us go into the things that God knows are in us and brings out the beautiful things that God is trying to produce in us. I am nowhere near my message. I'm sorry back there. So last week, as Pastor Steve was preaching, I heard the Father say in my spirit, he says, I love this church. And all of a sudden, it just gripped me. Just, it's like, I didn't just love it today, but I had this sense that I have been loving this church for years. There's been a love of the Father over this church. This, not the building, doesn't care much about the building, it's you. God loves you. The Father loves you. And it just, it overwhelmed me in a sense. And it was just this thing that says, I love this church. I said, God, that's awesome. And then something else happened to me right on the heels of it. I began to get this picture of an image that I'd had in the past of how an atomic reaction occurs. I told you, I'm weird. (laughs) Okay? All of a sudden, I got this picture of how an atomic explosion occurs. Brandon, could you help me? There we go. This is an atomic explosion. So Manhattan Project, you guys have heard of it. This is where they came up with the bombs that ended World War II, and I'm not going to go into the... That was terrible. (laughs) That was terrible what we did to all those people. But what I want to talk about is the process, because this is what came alive in my heart last week. And as I was hearing God say, I love these people, 
all of a sudden, I got this picture. And for an atomic reaction to happen, or for an atomic bomb to go off, what has to happen is they couldn't get the plutonium. This one's plutonium. There was a uranium as well. There was little boy and fat man. So this is the diagram for fat man, okay? And fat man, they took plutonium, and I can't remember the isotope, and what they did is they created all of these charges around it within this sphere. I think it was 27 smaller explosions that all went at the exact same time. And when the explosions occurred, what it did is it created such incredible pressure on the plutonium that it started a fission reaction in the plutonium. And as long as there was plutonium there, it blew up. That first bomb was on the order of, I think it was 20 megaton, which is basically, is it of TNT? 20 tons of TNT is what it was equivalent to. This is the picture that God put in my heart for this house. So when God is doing something in community, so many times we look at, like this story in Acts chapter 3 and 4, is when 5,000 people comes into the church and we say, that's amazing. But the truth is, God had been doing a work in that whole arena right there far before the day that 3,000 came in on the day of Pentecost in chapter 3 and 4 where 5,000 came into the church. There was something that was prepared and created and readied so that that atomic explosion could happen on those days. I want to go back, if you will, I want to jump into the scripture and I want to go to Matthew chapter 5. And first of all, I just want to say, this is bigger than me. Say, this is bigger than me. Last week, as Pastor Steve was talking about mess to masterpiece, I thought a lot about myself. But there is a point where God takes that place of salvation, that place of grace for your own life, that place of I've got to get better, that place of where I've got to really clean up some things in my life, and all of a sudden, he moves you past that into a thing. There's something bigger going on than just me. I need to give myself to something that's much bigger than what just my little world. And all of a sudden, it takes us past all of the things where it's what I can get or it's what I can accomplish or it's what I can control. And you start saying, what can I give myself to the whole of what God is doing? And that's the people of God. God loves unity. He absolutely loves when we say, I'm going to give myself to a people. It's called covenant. And God was, is really good about things like that. This is all, say, bigger than me. So we as a nation have prided ourselves on rugged individualism. Isn't that true? The Duke, John Wayne, right? A little lassie. But we, rugged individualism of the American frontier, and the problem lies in that sometimes that's at odds with biblical community. We become such individuals that we begin to hole ourselves up in our own little world and we start looking at what everything is for me instead of looking at what God might be doing. And I'll, I'll tell you guys, I'm chief sinner here. I have this part of me that just would just as soon be independent. I don't want to ask anybody for help. It's even hard for me to talk to Travis about figuring out what's wrong with my truck because I figure I can figure it out on YouTube and I can fix it myself. 
I've got that in me. It comes from my father, and um, it's just what it is. But that mindset is beginning to shift in me. The Holy Spirit is doing work, and I believe that God is showing us that in other countries that are not so individualistic, God is doing amazing things as they work together as communities. And what's also I'm finding out, doing some study about a whole new generation of millennials and generation X and Y and Z, is that they actually work as a herd. As my generation, the generation before me, was independent and I can figure it out myself and do it myself, there is a younger generation that's coming that says, no, we will do it together. And I believe that there's an entire generation that is looking for a very, very good community to be a part of so that they can lend themselves to something that is much bigger than them. Because deep inside of us, we are longing to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. There is a nuclear explosion. There is an atomic explosion that is going to happen in the church. It's prophesied in the last days that there will be a harvest where the, where the plowman is going to overtake the harvester. We're talking about a harvest that is so big that unless we have the right communities set up and ready to go, we are not going to be able to contain the harvest of the last generation. But Jesus went through a process to get that reaction ready to go. First of all, Jesus started with community. If there was ever anybody that could have gone it on their own, it was Jesus. Isn't that right? says that he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know what that means? Everything that God was, was in him walking around on planet earth. If there was anybody that could have gone it alone, it was Jesus. For me, it's kind of like walking into Home Depot and seeing the whole aisle of Milwaukee tools. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they have so many different kind of tools. And I was just thinking, if I could have all of those tools, I could do anything. <laughs> anything. That reverse, upside down, bandsaw, radial arm, whatever thing that I don't even know what it means. But the battery fits, and it's part of the, it's part of the kit. I could use it. Jesus had it all. Prophetic word, he could, he could function in it. Healing, he could function in it. Faith, he could function in it. Word of knowledge, he could function in it. If it was, he could do it. But you know what Jesus did? Coming right out of the desert, right out of the temptation, he chose 12 disciples. Were they the educated? Nope. Were they the best of their time? Were they the best of the breed? Nope. They were just common people that responded to Jesus say, come follow me. John gives us a little more insight when you look at the John encounter of him calling the disciples, and it says that they believed he was the Messiah. So now we don't just have a community of people that are just hanging out. We're having a community of regular people that believe that God could do something amazing. And in the middle of that small company of people that believe that Jesus just might be the Messiah, God begins a process of building a community that will change the world. Jesus comes next, and we see him on the Sermon on the Mount. 
We do not have time to go through chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew and go through the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So I just threw up some slides, and we're going to go through the chapters very, very quickly. But the first part I see, uh, as I'm looking at community, all of a sudden the Sermon on the Mount made total sense to me. Instead of it being about me and the do's and don'ts and things I've got to do individually, all of a sudden I start seeing that Jesus is building a culture for a new community that's getting ready for this thing that he's about to do. It's a culture that is far different than the pharisaical religious culture of the day. The people are under the burden of the law. The people are under the burden of these elites telling them what to do. And Jesus comes among the everyday people, calls everyday people around him, begins to teach them a counterculture to what's going on, and begins to breathe inside of this culture the beginnings of a seed that's going to explode. What is it that he teaches? The first part he teaches is he says, blessed are those who are desperate for God, who mourn, who are humble, who hunger and thirst for justice. They're merciful, pure-hearted, peacemakers, persecuted for doing the right thing. Are these all fuzzy, wonderful? Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Not at all. In fact, Jesus was building a community that could take the pressure that compressed them into such a community that would one day explode. And then he says, these will be the salt and light of the world. These ones that can handle the pressure. These ones that can handle the compression. In chapter 5, he talks about the heart of all these people. A culture that goes beyond the Pharisees. It says it's a righteousness that exceeds the law. You're not doing it because of law. You're doing it because of your heart. Hearts that won't hate or lust, which changes how divorce happens and vows and revenge. He's talking about a culture here. He talks about loving your enemies. Crazy people love their enemies. I mean, he said, you've heard it said that you, you love your friends but hate your enemies. He says, no, I want you to even love your enemies. That's counterculture. That's a new way of looking at community. Jesus then goes into chapter 6 and he talks about the personal life of a person in this new culture or this new community. He says there are people that fast, pray, and give. Not out so everyone can see, but in the secret place because they know there's a father that's watching them. They know that there's a father that brings the reward rather than the people around you. He's talking about a core, something that's so deep that he can use it even under pressure. He talks about trusting in a good father and not worrying. And he talks about prioritizing the kingdom first. This is what we're about in our individual life. And then he moves on into the next part of chapter 7, which talks about the community of a whole. And he starts it off by saying, you don't judge. You're sitting there trying to get the speck out of somebody's eye, and you got this plank waving around, knocking people around. He says, how can you do that? And he's talking about a community of grace where people can actually tell you what they're going through, and they don't have to hide everything in their life because they know you're going to be put out on the sheets and the back lawn for everyone to see. A real community of grace that isn't covering sin, but instead it's welcoming sinners in to the person that's actually going to bring the change to their life. One hug from Jesus can set people free. 
but we got to get them close enough to that hug instead of saying, oh, no, no, you've got to jump this bar before you can come be a part of this community. No, a community of grace that welcomes people as they are, really welcomes people as they are, and brings them to Jesus who can bring change. He talks about when you need something, ask the Father. This is a family of provision. This is a community of provision. That's what it's like. That's what it's, it's supposed to be. A place where you love others as you would love to be loved. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You see what he's doing? He's building a culture for something entirely different than what was on the earth at that time. Then he said, few will choose this new way. Narrow is the gate. He said, it's a good community, and you'll be able to tell in this community by the fruit whether or not somebody belongs, is functioning in this or not. Now, don't get that wrong with grace. We welcome people in, but there's a point where we can see whether or not a person is a wolf in sheep's clothing or whether or not they're truly getting closer to Jesus and being changed. Okay, and that is one of the functions of leadership in a house as they have to determine some of those things. And then he said, this is the solid rock on which we build our life. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus teaching a people a brand new culture for a community that would experience the most radical explosion, I believe, that's ever happened on the planet. The next thing is Jesus releases that community. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is on the scene. And Peter, obviously, you guys know the story. You've heard it 100,000 times probably. But they go into an upper room, compressed. They go up in an upper room, just a few of them, 120. The ones that believe, say believe. A small group that believe, they get compressed in a room. And all of a sudden, what happens? The Spirit of God explodes upon them. What happens from that point? Do they stay in a room? Heck no. They're out in the streets in boldness, and all of a sudden, the explosion that was happening inside of them takes them out to the street, and they are bold to tell others about a freedom and a power of God that's available now in the earth. What's it going to take for us to get excited again about God that is powerful and available now in the earth? He's here. What's happened to us? There's a part of me. I've gotten asleep. I fell asleep. I need to start believing again that God can explode on the earth again. And I need to stop looking at success of numbers saying that's what's going to make it happen. Instead, I need to say, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? Could you be in the compression stage of what's happening? Could you be in the stage where you're putting all the pieces together so a community is so strong that they can handle the pressure that it's going to take to set this thing on fire? Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to release that. Acts 2.42 tells us in passing, they met in the temple and in the houses, but the focus is what does this new gathering of people called the church have in its culture? It's not the pressure from outside decreased. In fact, it increased. Yet the forces from the inside matched and exceeded the pressure from the outside. Why do we worship? We worship to set ourselves on fire so that the pressure on the inside can match the pressure that's going on 
on the outside. We need to get into the presence of God, be full, so that we're set on fire and we're ready to tell others what's going on. Anybody remember the first time they drove up to a roundabout? Can you remember it? There was a study in the United States. So they've been doing roundabouts, I believe. Some of the early ones were, were done in the 1970s. And honestly, in our nation, we were a nation that rejected roundabouts. We hated them. Thoroughly hated them. <laughs> do you remember driving up to a roundabout the very first time? And you're just like, what do I do here? Even though it had all the arrows and the pointing and people are going around. And I'll bet you stopped, didn't you? Just trying to figure out what in the world I'm supposed to do. Roundabouts were a new paradigm for our nation. But the truth is, go to the next slide, roundabouts save lives. You probably can't see that, can you? Overall collisions, if we used roundabouts, 37% reduction. 75% reduction in injury collisions. 90% reduction in fatalities. 40% reduction in pedestrian collisions. Are roundabouts worth it? I would say roundabouts are worth it, but it was a complete paradigm shift. I used to work in construction, okay? Heavy road construction. And it was a complete shift. We, we looked at some of those plans that started coming in and said, what in the world are they doing? Why in the world of sports are they doing here? You know, what are they doing? But they're trying to save lives. I believe that there's a shift. Diane and I have been on this journey of late. And, and God has been moving us, has moved our family, has moved us. And there is this song that's been in our heart. He moved the mountains, and I believe he can do it again. It's been our theme song. It's been the theme song since, actually, it's almost a year ago it started. Isn't that right, Diane? We took a sabbatical. We began to seek God. We sense that there is something shifting and changing in the church as a whole. God is up to something. God is up to something big. And that something big is always going to involve people. Say people. Where the Old Testament communities were all about exclusion. Isn't that right? God was all about keep those people out there. You got all your laws. Keep it all in here. Make sure you, get, you don't do that. The whole Old Testament yeast was a symbol of sin. You didn't want any yeast anywhere. Okay? Old Testament communities. It's keep everything out. All of a sudden, Jesus comes in. The Holy Spirit is introduced in culture. And all of a sudden, in a New Testament community, it becomes inclusive. What's the difference? All of a sudden, inside of you, you have now the Holy Spirit. It says the kingdom of God is now within you. You're the one the enemy is fearing, not us fearing the enemy anymore. In a community that is strong and vibrant and alive, we should be able to bring people in and we should be able to see sin eradicated within that kind of a community because of the power of God. But it's going to take every one of us believing, say believing, that God is at work in the middle of our community, that God is up to something. And believing that me giving myself to that is going to create the unity that draws the interest and power of God into a place. God is up to something. We can't think Old Testament anymore. We have to start thinking New Testament. 
and I watch a lot of people think Old Testament. It's like, draw a circle around my house. I'm not going to let anybody in. Don't get me wrong. It's fathers and mothers we need to protect. But we need to realize the power of God is in us. We have something bigger than just us. Much bigger. And we need to start tapping into that. All of a sudden we get to the New Testament and yeast in the Bible, he says a parable and he says that yeast filled three lumps and it filled the whole loaf and it was a kingdom parable. All of a sudden yeast has gone from being an evil symbol to being a positive symbol. We are now inclusive. We are happening to the world. The world is not happening to us. We have to shift our mentality. I want you to know that faith grows in community. Have you ever had it to where all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, you're just walking through life and you're looking for a word from God? You've never been looking for a word from God, have you? And all of a sudden, it's like you can't hear God. But you walk into church and all of a sudden, God gives you a word for somebody else. What's up with that? It's called community. Corinthians, the book, is, it lays out all day long how our gifts are meant to be used in the corporate body. There is something that God does to where he actually holds back certain things that he does for us individually so we depend on a community working together in unity. There's been so many times I've had words for other people and then I have to wait for God to speak through somebody else in the church instead of him just talking to me. He tells me certain things, don't get me wrong, but there are certain things that God, he just says, no, you're gonna have to wait for somebody to tell you. Somebody's gonna have to move in their gift so that you can hear what I'm saying to you because you're not just by yourself here. You're a part of an entire group of people called the ecclesia, the church. It's much bigger than you. It's got protection. It's got a place where needs are met. It's got a place I run out of time. I'm going to do this very, very quick. Let's put Rat Park up. Anybody ever hear the experiment of Rat Park? No. So they, they did this experiment. You did. Yeah, they did this experiment about drug abuse. Early 60s, they did it. They put the rat in the cage, gave them a, a thing of water and a thing of morphine. I think it was morphine. And they found out that the rat found the morphine, drank the morphine until they died. They said, okay, drugs are really, really bad, and we need to ban them all. Probably still a pretty good idea. But this guy comes along later by the name of Bruce K. Alexander, and he says, I want to take that test a little bit further. And he takes all of these, these rats and he says, what would happen if they were in a community of rats versus being caged up in their own little cell? What would happen? So he decided, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to get a whole, this is one of the experiments. There's many experiments. This is one of the experiments. What I'm going to do is we're going to take all of our rats and we're going to get them super addicted to, uh, I think it wasn't morphine, it was, um, maybe it was morphine, cocaine, one of those. And he got them all addicted. It sounds cruel and unusual punishment, but it's rats. Okay? And gets them all addicted. Then he takes part of the rats, puts them in what they called rat park. It was a rat paradise. It had old cans. It had cheese. It had all kinds of things that they could, could wander on. It had pictures of all the woodlands and, and, and wood chips everywhere. And they loved this place. 
the rats that were in the rat park and had socialization with each other went to the morphine drip much less than the ones that were in seclusion. So much less that they barely ever touched it. Not only did they do that, they took it one step further and they took all these rats that had been caged, put them in with the other rats, with their addictions and all, with the other rats, and in the midst of all the other rats that were socialized and now were free of their addiction because they were hanging out and weren't taking the drip anymore because they were having more fun playing with one another than doing the morphine, they brought the other rats in, and lo and behold, even though they could see they were addicted, literally shaking with their addiction, they gave up their addiction to hang out with the other rats. That's the power of community. Now, they take that test and they say, we need to legalize drugs and all of that. I'm not going that far, and neither did Alexander. But what it says is that there is a powerful side to community that can set people free. What breaks down community? Hurts. So many people are hurt. I think a lot of times that those hurts are because we don't have anybody to talk to about them. We need to figure out a way to where we can build a community, to where we can uncover our hurts. The enemy knows how hurting one person to put a ripple through. We've got to figure out how to really bring forgiveness into the community of God. And then that brings, goes to unforgiveness and how that destroys it. Control and spiritual abuse. I'll tell you what, people controlling people, that's just no bueno. It's no fun. God gave us free will. Who came up with free will? God came up with free will. Satan is the one that takes it away. Isn't that right? God is the one who came up free will. We need to have a control-free environment. The other one is actually religion. Religion is when you don't continue your relationship, but you keep up with the traditions of that relationship. It's like having a picture of my daughter on my cell phone and saying how wonderful she is, but I haven't met her in the last year. I haven't hung out with her in the last year. I tell everybody about her. That's religion. It doesn't have the life of relationship in it. I have one last point, and we're going to finish it. Let's put up that one last right here. So all of a sudden, you had atomic. But God said the last day harvest is going to go one step further than that. So the scientists of the Manhattan Project weren't satisfied that those bombs were big enough. 15 kiloton, 20 kiloton, that wasn't big enough. They wanted, because there was all this, this fuel that was being unspent. So what they did is they then took a hydrogen core and put it within the plutonium so that when the plutonium explosion went off, it heated, which was a fission reaction, exploding molecules apart, atoms apart. The fission reaction would produce so much heat that the hydrogen would get hot enough and it would start the fission reaction. 10,000 kilotons by just adding the secondary explosion. This is what happens on our sun right now. It's a fission reaction going on all the time. And what they did is they found out a way to make 
this plutonium keep reacting over and over and over. A chain upon a chain upon a chain upon chain reaction. I believe that we go to Amos. We go to Amos 9.13 and James 5.7. James 5.7 talks about a harvest. I mentioned it. Where the plowshare will catch up to, the sower will catch up to the harvester, basically in our terms. It's going to be such a huge harvest. You look at the earthquakes that are happening in the earth today, today, 8.3, 6.4. You look at the things that are happening. Earth, we have more hurricanes that are happening on our continual basis. Guys, we're getting closer and closer to the end. There's just no doubt about that. Those are the signs of the times. We are coming closer to the largest harvest this world has ever known. And it will usher in the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that what God wants to do here and throughout the churches of the world is he wants to compress us and bring us into such a place that the more pressure that's put on us, the bigger the explosion comes out of us of the power of God in everything that we do. There are times when we look at success as being massive numbers of people or this or that or the other thing. I want to tell you success is whenever God is doing what he is doing in a situation. And I declare that what God is doing in this situation right here is he is compressing us into such a place that at one day he's going to set that fuse and it's going to explode. Will you believe with me? Let's pray. Father God, when I got this vision, when I started thinking about sharing it, I asked you, are you sure? And I believe you doubled down. You said, that's what I want you to say. So God, we make a declaration here today that we want to be a part of your community that you're forming. We want to be a part of whatever it takes, Lord, to produce and create what you are doing in the earth today so that we are ready for what you are doing in the earth in the days to come. God, I pray that your spirit would fall upon us in this place. I pray, oh God, every individual, we would begin to declare from our mouth, I believe that God can do something big again. I believe that God can do something wondrous again. I believe that miracles can happen again, like the one that brought 5,000 into the kingdom of God. I believe that me giving myself to a community can make a change in the world as we know it. If you're here this morning and you just want to say, I just want to challenge you to say to God, I'm in. I'm in for something like that, God. And even though I have looked at success as being great numbers, God, I trust that whatever you're doing is the right thing. And I'm on board with what you're doing today. Count me in. I want you to actually pray that. Count me in, God. I will give my life to the community. I will give my, my life to you, oh God. I will let your presence just saturate me so that I have more pressure from within when I have the pressure from without. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, explode us at City Life Church. Amen.
Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 